0: Welcome back to another episode of the fantasy baseball buds. We have more collegiate prospects to talk to you about today. Three pitchers, as we have been talking about batters, we have Richie's breakout performers and players to note as we went over mine last week. So we have some new names to bring to the show to talk about, and we have a few that we've spoken on throughout the last year, and we have big news in the baseball world, which will impact fantasy, especially for our hometown, Milwaukee Brewers. But first, let's bring in Richie. Richie, what is going on, buddy?
1: Hey, how's it going, Matt? Um, You know, at the beginning of the week, I was a little bit sad, depressed, upset about the trade of Corbin Burns to the Baltimore Orioles. But after sleeping on it, realizing what the package is that we got in return, realizing Corbin Burns is only on a one-year deal, and we got a compensation pick out of it as well, I feel a little bit better and a little bit optimistic because D.L. Hall was one of my boys when he was a prospect a couple of years ago. So I'm hoping the brewers can figure him out, get his control ready to go and I kind of stole your thunder on the little bit of breaking news that you have going on, but no, all is it. well, all is well.
0: Well, and it's fun. So we'll jump right into it. Milwaukee trading Corbin Burns this is probably not new news to those of you watching or listening, Burns going over to the Orioles, the Brewers in return getting DL Hall, Joey Ortiz, the 34th overall pick in the 2024 first year player draft was at first, I think received as, wow, they didn't get enough, you know, Kobe Mayo, Samuel Bosalo, the number of other prospects in the Orioles organization not included in this deal. But I think what you said was perfect. After really sitting back and looking at this trade, the Brewers were also limited with trading with the Orioles. They were not going to be inquiring about Colton Cowser or Hurston Kierstead because Milwaukee already has a log jam in the outfield. The foreseeable future in Milwaukee's outfield is kind of solidified. You don't need those two. Those two probably could have been in conversation. Milwaukee in desperate need of a shortstop prospect after Willie Adamas leaves or is traded, which I think is a conversation we'll have here in a minute. And then when you look at Milwaukee's organization, offense is the development plus right now as pitching is kind of lagging behind and bringing DL Holland was a really big piece to kind of fixing or patching that problem. Baseball America coming out today on social media, posting their 80 grade players at, you know, power hit fastball. The Brewers have both Jacob Mizorowski and now D.L. Hall at 80-grade fastballs by Baseball America. So there is a lot to be excited about with D.L. Hall, a player that we've been on and off again for a number of years. But I want to get your opinion on what you think of Hall, Ortiz, and the value of that 34th overall pick.
1: Yeah, I think the 34th overall pick is a little bit underrated in this trade, simply for the fact that if Corbin Burns would have gone the entire season with the brewers. We give him a qualifying offer at the end of the year and he chooses to sign somewhere else. The brewers would have got a comp pick for him not signing with him. So us getting that in return does wonders for us. And the other thing with DL hall is at worst case scenario, he's the new Josh Hader. He's got an amazing fastball. The reason why I fell in love with him a couple years ago is baseball. America had uh, a, pr- a preseason article out there Limited, like listing all of the the pitchers with the best fastball, sliders, curveballs, and I saw DL Hall on there with one of the best fastballs, but also one of the best secondaries in his curveball, and I just fell in love with it. And I was praying, hoping that this guy would figure out his control because it gets like thirty, forty grades depending on which site you look at. Still hasn't found it, but I'm hoping the Brewers can figure something out with him, just like they did with Corbin Burns when he was struggling with his control. So maybe we've got the left-handed corbin burns in dl hall.
0: Yeah, and I and I think when you really look at the return, we have to evaluate they are trading with the deepest farm system, the number 1 rated farm system in in the industry, Baseball America, us, all their publications. And when you look at Joey Ortiz being outside the top 10, when you look at his placement in the organization, dl hall not having prospect pedigree anymore because he has graduated. You know, you take these players and you toss them in the Oakland Athletics or the Kansas City Royals organization. You're talking about acquiring presumably top eight, maybe even top five prospects within an organization. That return looks a lot better. You know, it is definitely the perception. It is the fact that they didn't get the best prospects in an organization being the Orioles. But the Orioles are not moving Kobe Mayo. They're not moving Samuel Basalo. They're not moving Jackson Holiday. Those names just are unavailable. And I think the Brewers did very well. With one year of control of Burns left, yeah, I think maybe they could have shopped around and gotten a higher, you know, better blue chip prospect, but it facilitates the needs of Milwaukee. Ortiz coming in, presumably playing shortstop, you know, this is kind of the next topic we're going to talk about. Um, once either Adamus leaves or is traded, is a big piece. The Brewers do not have a shortstop in waiting for maybe three to four years. Cooper Pratt, you know, Eric Batanti, obviously being taken in this year's draft are years away as they were high school bats being taken. There's a lot of development that needs to be done there. So I think what they're doing is, hey, we've got a plus defender in Ortiz now that can stick. He can help as this rebuild and as these youngsters like Churio and Wilkins start to come up. And then hopefully Batanti or Pratt can be the guy that takes the reins And Ortiz, when you look at his overall numbers, high exit velocity at AAA, but is a line drive hitter. Maybe Milwaukee can cater that swing a little bit more, get a little bit more loft, and maybe now you have a plus bat as well. And then again, D.L. Hall being a rotation piece, at worst, a high-end leverage closer or high-end leverage reliever, another 34th overall pick. Um, I think that's the biggest piece to this. It adds bonus pool money. It allows Milwaukee to be more aggressive with some of these high school bats in arms in 2024. We saw what they did in 2023. It was very impressive with the money they were able to spread out and allocate. Uh, at, at first, I was okay with it. Now, I really like it. It sucks to move a top five, top three you know, pitcher in baseball, especially a starter, but Milwaukee's done very well with their trades. I have to have faith, and I have to believe that this was presumably the best deal um so let's talk about
1: well before you move on the other thing is when the Brewers traded for Christian Jelic he had an issue getting the ball in the air and they were able to fix that I mean before all the injuries and he ended up having an MVP season so I have a lot of confidence in them fixing Joey Ortiz and hopefully he can maybe get 20 homers I don't expect him to hit 25 30 but if he can get 20 that's very serviceable at the shortstop position so I'll take
0: it yeah, and I think what you're talking about is a, a, a good floor batting average. I expect Joey Ortiz to hit absolutely no lower than 260. Uh, I, I could see a 300 average. You know, I think the median probably at 280 is very respect, respectable, especially in this Milwaukee lineup that has struggled to have good average players throughout the last three years. You know, Interjecting that into the lineup is really important. You have Churio also going to be a high on-base percentage, a high average player, You know, Yelich has been kind of the guy. So this is kind of a changing of the guard from Milwaukee. As you start to see the Wilkins come up, you know, Hoskins being signed, you have to have guys on when these guys utilize their power. But that brings us to Willie Adamas, a very low average uh, hitter. You know, batting average has been the concern for Willie Adamas. Power production has been there. I think this trade calls into the question the reality that maybe Willie Adamas is also on the trading block if you were the Brewers, as a Brewer fan, would you be looking to move Adamas or would you be looking to sit on him and kind of bounce Ortiz around the infield this season?
1: You know, that's tough. I think the Brewers are retooling. I don't think this Corbin Burns trade means that we're rebuilding at all. We did sign Reese Hoskins. That shows that we are still, still want to be competitive. DL Hall, I think they can still fix. I think you see Joey Ortiz and Willie Adamas mix and match between short and third. Uh, Bryce Turing, I think, is solidified at second base. You know, when this trade originally happened, I was hoping we get Connor Norby, but I don't think he's as great as a shortstop as Jory Ortiz. So I think Jory Ortiz is our shortstop of the future. Willie Adamas, maybe he gets traded, maybe he doesn't. I know you mentioned maybe a theore- theore- wow, can't talk. theoretical trade uh, to the Dodgers getting Gavin Lux in return. I don't see that happening because how much of an upgrade is Willie Domus to Gavin Lux realistically? I mean, Willie Domus batted below 250. Yeah, he's going to provide some power, but Gavin Lux is on the other end of the spectrum. He's going to have hopefully a higher batting average, not much power, but the Dodgers have plenty of power in their lineup. Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Shohei Otani. Do they really need. Willie Adamas I don't think it's worth the prospects that they're willing to give up and the Brewers are retooling not rebuilding so they're not going to want some of the younger guys that we like in the Dodgers organization so I think we do move Devin Williams I don't think we move Willie Adamas
0: yeah and the only landing spot you know we you talked about LA that was a conversation we had this week there is obviously a fit there because Gavin Lux as it stands right now is slotted into play shortstop for LA I think another option would possibly be Miami. They're a team that has a plethora of young pitching is looking to move a few pieces. They also, if I remember correctly, need a solidified closer um, a guy that can really help them compete in that wild card run, because I just don't think the NL East is, you know, is winnable with the Phillies in that um, in that division, as well as the Braves, but they have been a wild card contender. They've been trying to add more bats I could presumably see a Devin Williams, Willie Adamas move to Miami for any number of a package of their young pitchers, whether it's major league level and you're getting a a one front end guy, or you're presumably dipping into the minor leagues and and taking guys like a Thomas White and pairing him with a few other prospects. But you may be right. It may just be a retool. We may go into the season with Willie Adamas as our starting shortstop, Joey Ortiz bouncing between second and third and giving Adamas days off. But Joey Ortiz is definitely a plus shortstop. And I think the sooner Milwaukee gets him solidified in that role, the better this team can move forward foundationally. The question is, is where is Adamus' value? Can you really bring in pitching? Which is, I think, what Milwaukee needs to do now, knowing that most of the positional um, depth at the major league level either has a solidified player at it or is coming up in Wilkin and a couple of these other names. Like so the,
1: so the Miami Marlins, according to Ross Resource, have John Birdie at short. And yep. right now their closer is Tanner Scott, who I don't think is ungodly by any means, but he did have a good end of the season last year. There has been rumors that Jesus Lizardo is on the block. Is there a possibility that the Brewers give away Adamas and Devin Williams and can get Jesus
0: Lazardo? I would not personally, if I'm, you know, in charge, I would not make that deal. I would ask for I'd ask for two starters um, or I'd ask for if you're the
1: Brewers or if you're the, I'm the Marlins
0: on the Brewers. I would ask for Rogers, Lazardo, and White. Like it, it, that's what's going to cost. Like Devin Williams is not just being given out here. Right. Like I, I like Lizardo. But he only,
1: he's on his last year. Right. Devin Williams.
0: I, I want to say he has two years left. Okay. Um. So I want to say he has two Arb years left. I, and I want to say Adamas is, this is his last year. If not, Adamas also has this year. Or next. Adamas is a
1: free agent next year. I do know that. So, okay.
0: Yeah. So, you know, yes, it's a good deal for Milwaukee, but I am not a believer in Jesus Lazardo. That's why I'm not making this deal. The injury concerns, the one year of, of production, maybe one and a half year of production we've seen now, that is not enough for me to give up a dominant closer, knowing at a trade deadline, or even this coming off season, I can still move him for, you know, pitching prospects. Um, Lizardo also each year that he pitches now is entering his own arbitration. You know, coming closer and closer to those years where you have to pay him. So, but again, yeah. I'm not a Lizardo fan. I I would much rather Thomas White, Cabrera, a few other names in this organization. Obviously, Yuri Perez isn't even on the table, nor should he be. No. But I do think there is some value there, and if you can just move Willie Adamas and you know, maybe some depth in this organization. Maybe it's a Tyler Black. Now that Tyler Black's role has kind of seen its way out, you know, third base of this year is an option, but Wilkins on his way. Um, you know, there is options for Milwaukee to pair up a, a B tier prospect, but it is slim. You know, John Birdie was the name that crossed my mind because I have been searching for innings in certain deep, deep dynasty leagues. And seeing John Birdie is great because from a fantasy perspective, you have the stolen bases, that John Birdie provides in fantasy, but the likelihood of him actually being an everyday player, I think is very small. And Willie Adamas kind of facilitates that fix.
1: So I did look it up. Willie Adamas is a free agent after this year, earning 12.5 million this year, Devin Williams is a free agent after the 2025 season. So you are correct. He has two years left, two but years. he signed a one year, $7.25 million deal. And I think that's what was getting hung up is they avoided arbitration by yep. doing um, a mutual yearly contract. So I don't think I I would do that trade either. I was under the impression Devin Williams only had one year left. So I agree. Well, I, I do I mean, think we still move Williams.
0: Yeah. Well, and we, I think we had this conversation or, you know, maybe I had it with, um, another close friend. The perception of this deal for Burns is huge. The Brewers did this now. Had the Brewers done this in July. Yeah, that was with me. Yes. Right before the deadline. We saw this a few years ago with Hader. Destroyed the clubhouse. It caused a lot of conflict and it didn't go well for the fan base. And presumably with the signing of Reese Hoskins, this team is going to be in contention for the NL Central crown. It's going to be in contention for a wild card. And if you really wanted to get value from Corbin Burns, you had a choice. It's trade him now or it is get that comp pick because you cannot replica, replicate the same mistake you made with Josh Hader. So I think with that being said, this was the value on the table. This is the value they took. I'm sure they've explored their options with Adamus. I'm sure they've explored their options with Devin Williams since Milwaukee does have organizational depth in the bullpen. And if we don't see a deal in, say, the next two weeks, I think this is the team we go into training camp with, and this is the team that starts the season. And then presumably, unless we are not in contention, I don't see them moving either. Now, our rotational depth is more minor league heavy. So I think moving Burns takes us out of that you know nl central running i could see a wild card it's going to take some time for these guys to develop carlos rodriguez you know there's a lot of question marks there uh robert gazer there's a lot of question marks there dl hall question marks there if everything hits this team's gonna be good the likelihood of that i think is you know is smaller and um you know it'll be interesting to see if if williams or adamas get moved in the season if they're not moved now yeah,
1: it'll be interesting to see. As a Brewers fan, I don't want us to move Adamas or Williams, and hopefully we can compete, get a wild card, or win the NL Central. I feel like we're always underdogs, yet we somehow pull it off. So, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful.
0: I would be okay with. Uh, I actually would like them to trade Willie Adamas. There's, you know, he he's in my opinion, he's a liability. He's a version of the old way in a way of of going about constructing our offense it's just the average it's the strikeouts I I, this team needs to be an on-base machine it needs to be flexible with the way that it it plays um its players within the infield within the outfield Adamas is a very very good player but he is going to leave Milwaukee in free agency you might as well get what you can and we need starting rotation depth and I think Ortiz is a awesome fillin'. i i would even consider ortiz to be a better fit for the team than adamas based off profile
1: i've said it before i'll say it again let's go sign matt chapman then you can move adamas you get ortiz at short chapman at third we're ready to roll our infield set then but we're just gonna, give I'm, gonna man, I'm gonna i'm gonna manifest the game i'm gonna manifest that I'm going to manifest Matt Chapman. Breaking of, news, of Matt Bruce.
0: Chapman and Cody Bellinger to Chicago. Okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's move on here. That, that's a joke, by the way, but we are hearing rumors. Don't
1: put that juju out there. <laughs>
0: uh, um, next trade, smaller one, but a name we really like, a name that actually you know, this trade turned me on to. You were already aware, but pre, uh, prelander Barrera, Zach Deloach, and the 69th pick traded to the White Sox for Gregory santos Santos kind of being pushed this offseason by a few people as a possible breakout candidate for the White Sox. Obviously, the Mariners, the ones um, acquiring him, thought so as well. But prelander Barrero is the big name for us that I think we want to talk about here. Richie, you like him a lot. You know, his numbers are absolutely fantastic. What do you have to say about Barrero? And what are you kind of projecting him to be now that he's in Chicago?
1: Yeah, if my baseball savant could load. Uh, Pre-Lander Baroa, I like what he did coming up this last year. Throws 100 miles an hour, so anytime I see that, those guys stick out like a sore thumb to me. He did great. Um, I want to say double-A or triple-A. My internet is not loading properly, so I want to say he did well as he progressed throughout. The minors. came up and got a brief cup of coffee with the Seattle Mariners last year. He moves to Chicago White Sox, and they just gave up Gregory Santos. And currently, their closer spot is vacant. Gregory Santos was supposed to be the guy. You know, they had Garrett Crochet, but there's rumors that he's going to be stretched out to be a starter. I think Prelander Baroa is the closer for this team, and I think he's a sneaky one. I think he could be top fifteen, top twenty if all clicks. It's going to come down to a matter of how many opportunities does he have with a last place AL Central Chicago White Sox team.
0: Yeah, his numbers 2023 were incredible. Double-A, 43 overall games. They did give him five opportunities to start. We, you know, who knows what that he's means. a He's a closer. He's a closer, yeah. That could have been an opening position. That could have been to start the year. They were like, hey, let's run him out there because in 2022, he did play in nine games at double-A, and he started nine games. Um, At high-A, he played in 13 games. He started 13 games. So they had definitely given him the opportunity to run out and start. I think it's probably just an innings and effectiveness thing. When you look at his high A numbers in 2022 in those 13 starts, he had an incredible 2.41 ERA. But upon that transition to Double A, in nine games in 2022, he had a 4.37 ERA in nine overall starts. He did have 35 innings in those nine starts, so durability seemed to be there. But it seems as though... The Mariners made the decision in 2023 upon his double-A run to make him, as you said, a closer as a reliever. And I think the decision was absolutely right. 65 and a third innings, he had 101 strikeouts, an absolute incredible performance. 39 walks, so a little bit more than, you know, elite, but still nothing to really get us overly concerned about, especially when you're talking about, I mean, it's not, you know, 20 Ks per nine, but it's damn well close. And I think that's absolutely to your point, like value for dynasty leagues. Like this is a guy you can probably go out and either pick up right now on your next waiver run um, or just grab if, you know, if players are addable and you may be able to also to trade for him if, if the manager is um, already in position with their RP solidified.
1: So according to Russ resource, the projected closer for the Chicago White Sox is John Brebia a 33-and-a-half-year-old who doesn't have that great of a track record, in my opinion. And then the setup man is slotted as Jimmy Lambert, who, I'm not going to lie, has not been good. Looks like he's got a projected 4.9 ERA. brebby has got a projected 4.37 ERA. Baroa has the best projected ERA out of this bullpen with a 4.18. I think that'll be lower. I think people are sleeping on him, and... Honestly, I don't want to comp him to him, but it reminds me of the situation of Emmanuel Class a when he was coming up and Johan Duran when they were coming up. Those two closers now are considered top five. They both throw 100. The one thing I'll need to look at is how good um, the stuff pluses on Baroa's secondaries. I'm not too familiar with that, but I mean, he you need to have just a, an elite fastball to be a good closer, and he has that, so... Um, I'm, I'm very hopeful and I'm glad I have at least one share of them in our dynasty league because I'm excited.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think you brought up some really good names. We just have to be mindful too, that these closers, as you said, can kind of sometimes come out of nowhere. I think about Alexis Diaz for the Reds, you know, a a guy that was on a, a lot of waiver wires, you know, obviously the brother of one of the best closers in our current standing baseball and and now he's solidified as the closer in cincinnati as this team's starting to compete while the white Sox are looking at probably being a team that tanks for a number of years here two to three years before you know these prospects that they've started to accumulate come up uh barrow is the type of player that you want to add now so that you know when he's 27 28 and he's really hitting that 30 to 40 save per season threshold you've already had him rostered obviously you're going to need depth but um very, very good notes there for Prelander Baroa, Zach Deloach, whatever for me. Don't need to talk about him. That 69th pick, I, I think also cool for bonus uh, pool money, but it's, I don't necessarily think that that's a, a notable trade for the, for the draft pick. You had brought up a great point yesterday in a phone conversation. Once they've acquired that trade, same thing for Milwaukee with the 34th. They cannot move that pick. So I thought that was a really nice highlight by you. And also good as we start to see some of these draft picks get traded, which we haven't seen in Major League Baseball. We've got one more trade before we get into um, a potential signing and an injury. And then a, you know, a seasoned vet signing, which is exciting. This was on the outline last night. I didn't notice. So a little foreshadowing there. But Dominic Fletcher traded to the White Sox as well uh, in a separate deal. The White Sox sending uh, Christian Mena, a name we liked a lot this year and last year, back to Arizona for Dominic Fletcher. What are your thoughts on this deal?
1: I don't know why the White Sox did it. Um, Maybe they know something about Christian Mena that we don't know, but I really liked him. He was signed back in 2019 in the international class. He was supposed to break out this past year, didn't, struggled a little bit as he rose through the minor leagues, Um, he had over four ERA. I'm just looking at the prospect list for the Arizona Diamondbacks. They have him listed as the 12th overall according to MLB pipeline, and it, they have not projected to be on the MLB roster. I'm trying to pull up right now as we're talking about this to see if he's projected to be in the starting lineup. He's not. I wouldn't expect him to be, but the fifth starter for the Arizona Diamondbacks currently is Ryan Nelson, and I don't think he's that great. They also have Dre Jamison, who's injured. Oh, never mind. He had Tommy John surgery, so he's out. So outside of Ryan Nelson, The Diamondbacks don't have a fifth starter. I'm curious if he's going to have a crack at it. Maybe he gets invited to spring training, gets a shot. I could see him maybe come up. Maybe the Diamondbacks fix something in him. But overall, I don't know why the White Sox did it. I don't think Dominic Fletcher is all that great. Yeah, he's an outfielder, but you could have got that for way less in my opinion.
0: Yeah, you know, looking at Mena's numbers, it was something that we had tracked again all season. The ERA was of concern. And 133 and two-thirds innings had 156 strikeouts with a 1.41 whip. There was just a lot of concern of, you know, overall control. Could he be a player that develops and finds that control? You look at his overall numbers, only 64 walks, but 125 hits in those 133 innings. Strikeouts are nice, but my perception of this after both deals were made was that Baroa is probably the version of Mena they wanted. They probably saw Mena as ultimately either a closer or a high leverage reliever. He just didn't give them the data they wanted. They probably looked at him as a starter and said, okay, you're going to run into a lot of blow-up games. You know, We're going to move on from this profile if we really think you are a reliever. We're going to get someone that we can utilize as a filler until our prospects are up and ready until our system has been developed and and our foundation has been relayed. Confused me a little bit, but you know, Mena's overall profile we've waited and waited and waited for excitement. And he's just regressed 2022, a 3.80 ERA, 2023, a 4.85. It was a full run difference. And honestly, if you're going to move on, you might as well be able to get a major league starter. Well, Dominic Fletcher probably is a utility guy in most competitive teams. That's not the White Sox case. I'm okay with this deal because of the ability for them to, to get Baroa, And I think that makes it easier for White Sox fans.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
0: All right. A couple more notes for you before we jump into your breakouts. Uh, L.A. Dodgers GM said that he won't rule out a return for Clayton Kershaw. I think we've kind of been talking about that a little bit on and off. You know, Kershaw's surgery the extended rehab process. And my thought was, you know, come June, July, once Kershaw knows he's good to go, he'll probably give the Dodgers a call. There'll be three or four injuries like there is every season and boom, he will be right into the fold. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. If any, I mean, it's almost a foregone conclusion that I think Clayton Kershaw is going to go back to the Dodgers. I don't see why he wouldn't go back there. He's got a clear opening. He's out for, I want to say the first two or three months, um, after having surgery. So he's going to be out, but honestly, this just keeps down ticking Ian Emma Sheehan, And now I'm back on selling him. So I'm out on Emmett Yet again, I keep going back and forth on him. And in our hometown league, I actually sold Emmett finally got a nice little package in return. So I'm happy about that. Emmett Sheehan, love his stuff, don't love his control. You've been telling me f- all last year, Emmett Sheehan, he's destined to be a mid-reliever or a closer. I didn't want to believe you, but this is me saying I'm wrong. I was wrong about Emma Um, I was wrong about Mason Miller as well. They all have great electric stuff but they're destined for the bullpens and I have to come to that realization. And I think I finally came to that realization with Emmett Sheehan. I think the Dodgers are worried about it. And I think that's why they keep adding this depth, but they're going to need Sheehan in the rotation, at least for this year, because James Paxson, injury prone, Walker Bueller coming back from Tommy John. So he won't have the full capacity. Clayton Kershaw won't be nearly ready for half the season. It isn't signed yet, but yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm, pretty much yes, forecasting. Are, yes, forecasting. Yam- Yamamoto has to get used to at least a five man rotation. I mean, it sounds like they might be going to a six man, but there's a lot of question marks in that Dodgers uh, rotation. And I- I'm personally don't want to buy into that because I don't want to know if Emmett Sheehan's on the roster in May and then, you know, he's back in AAA for June and then he's back up in July. Like, I don't want to be a part of that this year.
0: Yeah, and you know we we're gonna jump right into as we kind of joked about that little bit of forecasting here with uh, a big injury news. But before we get there, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Alexis Diaz's 2021 Double A performance, just as kind of a comparison for Baroa. Um, so Diaz was 24 in the Cincinnati Reds organization at Double A, 35 games in 2021. No games started, so he was fully locked into the relief role. Forty-two total innings, um, excuse me, sixty-three total innings. Oh, yet wrong again. Still looking at the wrong Baseball Reference. Forty-two and a third. It had a three-eight-three three ERA, so nothing crazy there. Um, I'm looking for strikeouts. He had two saves, seventy who, strikeouts. Who's this you're looking at? This is Alexis Diaz. So oh, Alexis, you know, okay. if we're looking at what Barroa could possibly do, he's already overperforming what Diaz did. Diaz obviously gets the opportunity in 2022 to come up and, and play with the big league team and has a 1.84 ERA in 63 and two thirds innings. A huge jump from his numbers at AA. I'm not saying Barroa is going to come to the league and, you know, have a sub two ERA, but Diaz. I think is a decent case study because when you're talking about prospects, Diaz wasn't necessarily a guy you and I were talking about, you know, once he hit the major leagues, we had interest because of the the brother and the, the bloodlines he she shares. But again, these closers can sometimes come out of nowhere. And it's really important to look at what their numbers have been in the past and what the current guys are doing that have been given roles. But next news and notes, uh, we talked, I joked about injuries hitting the LA Dodgers rotation, which seems to be a regular occurrence in the last few years. And yet we have another injury. This one being of a prospect, Nick Frasso out for most of the season, if not all of the 2024 season with a torn labrum, did have surgery on that labrum. Richie, you and I have some labor labrum issues. We have friends that have <laughs> labrum issues. It seems to be a going trend. We liked Frasso a lot. The age was a concern um, based off age to level. But did put up a really nice season. We attract him all year. This is a bummer. This does hurt their depth. And it's no um, irony that, you know, Kershaw's news comes out as another depth piece goes down.
1: Yeah. Sad. It's like uh, the Dodgers have some bad juju with their rotations. But uh, this does give a little boost up to Landon Knack and also Kyle Hurt. I think Kyle Hurt starts out in the ro- uh, not rotation with the bullpen for the Dodgers but he easily could get some starts in there as well I think he's the first man up Landon Knack is a name to keep an eye on
0: all right we have one more news and notes of the day until we get into a little bit of forecasting that you and I kind of talked about we're going to talk about the Giants and a potential big-time free agent target landing spot we like with the Giants but first Justin Turner uh, the ageless wonder has signed with the Blue Jays one year 13 million dollars. Obviously, replacing Matt Chapman would be my assumption here. I would assume that Justin Turner goes back to third base. What are your thoughts? Do you think he's a third baseman? Do you think he's a DH?
1: I think he's going to mix and match. I think mostly he's going to play third base. I think this more or less rules out the possibility of Matt Chapman going back to Toronto. That limits his possibilities to the Brewers, which I'm hoping the Chicago Cubs Or the San Francisco Giants are the big three, which I think are candidates to sign Matt Chapman. Personally, I would prefer him to go to the Brewers as a fan, as a fantasy owner. I would prefer him to go to the Cubs, but him going to the Giants would be worst case scenario for everybody besides Giants fans.
0: Yeah. And uh, let's just break right into it. So we had some other news this week, more smaller, you know, not necessarily uh, fantasy relevant unless you're in deep, deep leagues. And searching for innings, Ross Stripling was traded to the Athletics from the Giants, and the Athletics also signed Alex Wood. So two players that were in this uh, Giants rotation, this Giants bullpen last year, leaving the team, leaving this team with a very interesting and murky starting rotation. Logan Webb obviously being the ace of this staff at 27 years old. Kyle Harrison coming up last year upon the promotion and assuming to be slid right back into this rotation at the number two slot. But then things get a little more interesting. You have the acquisition this offseason of Robbie Ray, who is still recovering from Tommy John, who would presumably slide into that number three role, but is still out maybe till midseason. We will see how that uh, development and that rehab goes. Jordan Hicks signing the three-year $10 million per year deal comes in at number three currently on roster resource. They are, of course, trying to turn Jordan Hicks back into a starter, which is what his pedigree had him as as a prospect until he came into the bullpen for the Cardinals. Coming at number four is uh, Keaton Wynn and number five, Tristan Beck. So those were the two real big names you and I scoffed at last night, and the conversation was centered around what is a good fit for Blake Snell. I think this would be an awesome landing spot. They haven't spent the money we expected them to, especially after having those conversations about potentially bringing in Otani. They did bring Lee in, so they have a little bit of money spent. But this rotation, if they sign Snell, could presumably look Logan Webb, Kyle Harrison, Blake Snell, and then Robbie Ray with what we thought was a great landing spot. They could have four really nice arms, three of those, yes, being lefties, but what a better ballpark for those lefties to pitch in what are your thoughts on Snell and the Giants?
1: I would love Snell going to the Giants. The question is, does Snell want to go to the Giants? It seems like all these free agents avoid San Francisco for whatever reason. Aaron Judge refused to go there, had the exact same money, and was decided he wanted to stay with the Yankees. So I kind of get that from the fan base perspective. Um, if the giants miss out on blake snell look for them to go out and heavily get jordan montgomery i could see them overpaying for him but they need somebody i just pulled up all the free agent pitchers that are available currently outside of blake snell and jordan montgomery that stick out to me there's clayton kershaw who we already talked about is injured and most likely going to the dodgers there's julio urias he has some personal off the field issues that we won't talk about here And then it's Mike Clevenger and Brandon Woodruff. And Mike Clevenger would be the fallback. And Brandon Woodruff has that shoulder injury. I don't know what his status is off the top of my head, but I wouldn't be risking it as he's a free agent. And and then after that, it's a big drop-off. So I expect them to fully sign Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, or both of them, honestly. So I would love both of it from a fantasy perspective. San Francisco is a great ballpark to pitch in and Blake Snell would be easily a top 10, top 15 starting pitcher for me if he signs with the San
0: Francisco Giants. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'm going through a dynasty draft right now. Thankfully, it's going to be hopefully the last one of my offseason. I am beyond over them. Um, and Snell fell, and my thought was, you know, I think ninth, 10th, 11th round, if he's still there with with what we talked about here and we talked about in uh, you know private conversation about Snell and the Giants – He's a lot more attractive if I'm attaching that Giants team to Snell, even at the age of 31. And, you know, we broke down roster resource. Those last uh, three names, including Jordan Hicks, while while they may not be the most attractive, the same thing could be said about the Milwaukee Brewers after the Corbin Burns trade. You know, you and I being fans, we know the organizational depth. We know that there are guys like Carlos Rodriguez, Aaron Ashby, names not being attached to the rotation that are viable options coming into spring training, seeing if they can perform at that level. Giants have the same. Mason Black is a name we like a lot. At the age of 24, AAA, he has proven that he has the ability to at least be given it a shot. Another name we like a lot is Carson Wisenhunt. Had the injury last year, seems to be doing okay. All reports are is that you know, no Tommy John's in the in the future for him. He's a name with that changeup that we love and I think would play really well in this lineup as well. I would, I would
1: argue, I would argue, Wizenhunt has the best changeup in the minors yep. currently. Um, yep. And then you give him a rotation spot, and he can learn from Logan Webb and his filthy changeup. Ooh, I love that pairing.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I think and Hunt for both of us. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's their number one pitching prospect, right?
1: I mean, if I were ranking it, yeah, he'd be my number one. Yeah,
0: and I, I think Kyle I would...
1: Harrison, technically, Harrison's still a prospect. Yeah, if but take, yeah,
0: if we take Harrison out, I think, I think. Hunt's easily number one. Black, for me, is at least number two just because of what he did last year, and I, I see there being upside probably a four or five starter at, at peak rotation if you were to bring in Snell, definitely. And then they have a couple other names, Landon Roop and uh, Hayden Burdensong, guys that you know, we've kind of kicked around a little bit but still at the AA level, still have some question marks, but there is Black, there is Hunt. I, I could see one or both of them being given a shot in this rotation if no moves are made, but I think you're right. It is going to be Snell. It is going to be Montgomery. One of the two has to enter this rotation. And we're talking about a 2025 rotation then that I like a lot. You know, you really look at it as the assumption of Bla- um, Black or Hunt entering the rotation. You have ultimately Webb, Harrison. You have Ray. You have one of the two prospects. That's still without signing a very strong rotation. So I can see why they haven't been as aggressive as we would have liked them to be.
1: Yeah, for
0: sure. All right. That is all we have for you for news and notes. We are going to break into your breakouts. We did mine last week. We have some really fun names to talk about today, Richie. So I'm going to kind of pass it over to you. You either break down one, two, do whatever you really want here, but tell us about who you really like and why you like them.
1: Yeah, I'm going to dip into the 2022 international pool. We've talked in the past about how Christian Vaquero was arguably uh, the top international prospect there and has faltered. So I'm not going to him because I don't really care for him, but I'm going to go to the number three international prospect from the 2022 class. And that's Ricardo Cabrera, 19 year old for the Cincinnati Reds, comes in as a shortstop, could ultimately play at third base. He had an okay showing in his first debut with the Reds. It's not loading for me, but in 2022, he batted 253, had only five homers, um, five stolen bases. He gets above average run, but last year he went to rookie ball and then to low A, and he something clicked for him. He ultimately batted 346, had a few home runs, five of them, and threw in 24 stolen bases. I love how he has an okay walk rate, 26 walks to 40 strikeouts. But the thing that I really look at and that I like when I look at his profile is he can hit the ball hard wherever he wants to. I'm trying to pull it up now. He had, where is it? Okay, so last year, you know, across high A, He had a 35% pull rate, 35% center, and 28% oppo. He can literally hit it to anywhere he wants on the field, and I just feel like he's going to continue to progress. The Cincinnati Reds do great with international prospects, and he's a guy I really like this year. I don't think the power is going to play up that much, but I think the speed is going to be there, and I think he's going to pop.
0: Yeah, we did our deep dive into the Reds organization, and we touched on a lot of those organizational highlights from the international classes. You know, Alfredo Sanchez is entering that program this year with a couple other names. Alfredo Deneau, another one we like a lot, Hector uh, Rodriguez, a name that the Reds acquired from the Mets, Carlos Jorge, a name I really like. If they can add Ricardo Cabrera to the yet, you know, continued development and string of these international success stories, it'll be very impressive. And will really start to build this into a deep organization really like the name a lot. I think he's absolutely one of those guys that we had talked about last week as if you're going to have someone at the very end of your depth chart and maybe more shallow dynasty leagues, this is a guy that's gr- a great opportunity to take a risk on because when he hits, if he hits, this is a guy that's going to have immense value to him. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, if we stick with the
1: 2022 2022- international signing. The other one outside of Christian vaquero that was arguably the top one is Roderick Aria shortstop for the New York Yankees. He hasn't had that great of a pro debut uh, in 2022. Only bad at 194 in rookie ball. And then last year, bad at 267. But his tools are outstanding. 17 stolen bases last year has a phenomenal arm. He's most likely going to stay at short. He only put up 6 home runs but he's known for having a loud bat, great bat speed. He did deal with some injuries. He had a thumb injury in 2022 that day or that limited his debut and that's ultimately why he batted 194. I think there's also the pressure to perform as being a high prospect and also trying to rebound from that lost 2022 season. I think the pressure's off of him a little bit. The Yankees just signed Juan Soto. I feel like he doesn't need to, to rush to the majors, but he's a ways away. But I do like what I see from Roderick Arias. I expect a big year out of him.
0: Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not going to follow suit on this one. Um, and it's nothing against you. It's more against the industry. The industry, especially over the last couple of weeks, has been really pushing Roderick Arias' name. And I have a problem with it. Um, he's <laughs> He's 19. You know, we see people in this in this industry talk a lot about age to level and how, you know, he's too old for this and that. Arias falls right in line with the similar players that people are talking down on because of his age. And I will give Arias credit, much like your friend Medina. He improved in the 2023 season. You know, there was an injury, as you mentioned, in 2020, uh, excuse me, 2023, but 2022, there was the injury. And we saw 46 strikeouts to 28 walks. You know, that's a number that scares me. Well, there was improvement in 2023, 29 strikeouts to 27 walks. I like that a lot. So did your Fran Medina. Your is being talked about from a number of different publications with the issue of age to level. And, you know, he's exactly, if I'm correct, the same age as Roderick Arias. Roderick Arias being 19 years old, you know, hasn't hit a ball yet. So I don't know what there is to necessarily get excited about outside of the fact that he's a Yankees prospect and that he was a tooled up player, which you're not wrong about, you know. Um, I think he's a name that needs to be on this list because we need to keep our eyes on him. But I am not someone that's going to go out and trade your friend Medina for Roderick Arias because of industry hype. Now, the next player you are going to talk about, if it were sent to me for Roderick Arias, it would be without question and accept because I am much more excited about the next Arias. Yeah,
1: and I will say this: I like your friend Medina as a breakout as well. He just doesn't come with the pedigree and the scouting prospect yep. pedigree that Roderick Arias has. So, I mean, I mean, if I, I think you took your friend last week as your breakout, right? Yeah. So, I mean, for, I mean, there's so many guys I like, and so do you. So it's it's hard to yep. limit it, but. I do like him, but let's, let's talk well, about and, the next and one. Before
0: you, before you jump next, I'm so glad you put him on the list because I have such a frustration with Roderick Arias. And, but I like and, that
1: walk out to strike, strike, wow, well, yep. walk to strikeout rate. So that is but, another well, reason that I forgot to mention.
0: And he would not have been on my list. He, he's a name that deserves the notation. That's the big thing here. You know, this is nothing against Arias. It's more about the industry and it's about what I consider conflicting opinions on people. You know, you and I are very open about the fact that we haven't seen these players play. You know, we get to maybe watch two to three clips if we're lucky from Twitter. Um, sorry, X. And we have to kind of build our assumption off looking at the overall data that we have in front of us and, and, you know, looking at past scouting reports. But you're right. Like all we have to go off of is that he was a highly regarded international signing by the Yankees. His tools are rated out from that because he was a projected big time international prospect better than the guys like medina but when we look at the raw numbers it's very hard to deviate between who's good and who's bad and so for me to hear the industry really hype up one player and poo-poo another because of the same exact problem is the only thing that i'm attaching to arias you know it's not his problem it's just if i like medina i like arias but i feel like you can't say you like arias and you don't like medina and that's not you but the industry overall
1: yeah 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 what are you gonna do about that Let's move, let's move on to the next Arias, and the next breakout on my list is Rainer Arias of the San Francisco Giants, 17-year-old. He was the 15th-ranked international signee of this last year's class. He gets comps to Eloy Jimenez, according to MLB Pipeline. Has a great frame, 6'2", 185. Comes in at 55 grades across the board. And man, did he break out last year in the DSL. Batted 414, four home runs, four stolen bases. With a walk rate greater than his strikeout rate. 15 walks to 11 strikeouts in 16 games. Very small sample size. But when I look at his underlying data, 53% pull rate. And 52% fly ball rate, with only 13% being an infield fly ball. But wait, he plays for the San Francisco Giants. Isn't that a hitter fr- or a pitcher friendly ballpark? Yes, it is. But if you look at San Francisco Giants, they've got that high wall on the right side. That pull rate, as being a right handed hitter, gives me hope that he can translate that power for the San Francisco Giants. I'm very excited about this, Raynor Arias, compared to Roderick Arias, and I'm excited for 2024 for him.
0: Yeah. All in. I tried to buy everywhere I could. People weren't having it. You know, I I was trying to be a little bit responsible because, you know, we did only get 16 games. This was his debut, but everything that you just said screams by, and sure Mm -hmm. it could be wrong. We could have a a very small sample size, you know, who knows there was the injury attached to him last year. We, we kind of talked about that in, um, past episodes when we were highlighting him through the year, but these numbers absolutely get me giddy. Um, I, he would have been in a ball had that injury not happened. You know, he probably would have continued. We'd be talking about him as the breakout DSL name, you know, and you know, he is my Arias. Like I, I see these other guys get signed with the same last name. We, we just talked about, uh, Roderick. Like, I don't care. Reynard is the guy that I have pegged. Those numbers are awesome. He's 17 years old, will not turn 18 until April 29th. So this will be his age 18 season. And again, you know, knocks on these guys as well. They're 19 in the DSL. My guess is Arias either starts the season at the DSL or they just start him at A-ball. And an 18-year-old coming in at A-ball, even if he's promoted in June or July, I love that. I'm really excited for 2024 and absolutely deserving to be on the breakouts. He's probably my number one guy on your list today.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised he wasn't on your breakout list if I'm being honest, but hey, I'll take it.
0: Hey, I had to, you know, I can't take all of them. Yeah, you can't take like all of them. We, we like we a like lot all of them. these guys. We like a lot yes. of guys.
1: I'm glad we're on the same page for the most part. Um, although I do like when we don't agree, like Roderick Arias, it gives us a little bit of a confliction here. So that is nice to have as well.
0: Listen, I, um, I love let, the Yankees. So if I'm wrong about our, Roderick, please, like all day. Yeah, You know, but. All day. Yep.
1: All right. The next a uh, breakout prospect on my list is Aiden Miller of the Philadelphia Phillies. He got drafted 27th overall high school bat And he fell in this draft mostly because of an injury. I tried looking up what the injury was. I couldn't find it before. It was my turn to talk about him. And honestly, in our dynasty drafts, I'm a little upset I didn't get any shares of him, mostly because I was sleeping on him. And I have a feeling that there's more people out there sleeping on him. And I didn't realize this at the time we were doing drafts is that he won home run derbies for high school, and he's known for his power. But if you look at what he did last year, all he did was hit. Batted 303 and rookie ball batted 414. Did struggle a little bit once he went to low A, but it was only 10 games, very small sample size, 20 games altogether, and hit zero home runs. But he did have a walk to strikeout rate, 12 walks, 15 strikeouts, and even chipped in four stolen bases. I mean, he's already shown that he can hit. If the power translate, which I think it will, I think this could be a potential superstar. And I'm excited about Aiden Miller. What do you think of them?
0: Yeah, same. I, you know, we, we talked about Sal Stewart last week in, in comparison to Nolan Aronado because of the profile that Stewart fits. Miller being young and not having the same kind of data that Stewart does. I would expect a similar track record with Miller as we see this season play out into 2025. I think the power is more raw for Miller. I expect, you know, higher exit velos at the major league level for Miller. I think when we talk about ballpark and placement, Aiden um, Miller ending up with the Phillies is fantastic with that pull side power, 19 years old, he will turn 20. It looks like in June. So a little bit older for his class. That is obviously something in the past that has concerned scouts. It's something that um, Walker Martin for the giants also has a knack on for as well. But Aiden Miller is a big guy that I like a lot just because of the organizational fit because of the power first approach in the draft And I think it kind of translates back to the conversation we were having about the Brewers earlier today. When the Brewers selected Bryce Terang a number of years back, it was at a similar draft slot. Miller was taken 127 overall, first round 27th pick overall, excuse me. Um, Bryce Terang was a similar range. And the hope was for Terang that hopefully the body can develop into having a average power profile didn't happen. So now you're stuck with a guy that is a defender first in a game where, that's not playing anymore. And Miller's the opposite. Miller's coming in with an offensive profile where the body is already developed with plus development insights. And we know that there will be power. The question is can he hit? He showed that 303 average this year. So the power will come. I love Miller. I think for the first round, 27th overall pick, this was a home run. No pun intended for the Phillies. And I think Miller's name is going to start climbing and climbing really fast. Yeah, I completely agree.
1: The next one I have on my list is Eduardo Quintero of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was an international signee. He's 18 years old, 6 foot 175, and man, he can fly. He stole 22 bases in 49 games in the DSL, also chipped in 5 home runs batted 359. And had a phenomenal walk-to-strikeout rate, 15.1% walk rate compared to 16% strikeout rate. Now, you got to take it with a grain of salt. It is the DSL, but I like what I see initially. He's not even ranked in the top 30 prospects for the Dodgers, according to MLB Pipeline. Somebody who's really under the radar so far, and the only reason why he's really popped on my list is because when we look at that MLB tracker, Matt, and we're looking at DSL guys, he was popping up everywhere. Um, average speed, home runs, OPS. So he's showing it on the stat sheet, and I want to see some more of him once he comes stateside.
0: Yeah, we're graded out as a 70 runner. Um, big time, big time speed. We saw the power. You talked about it five home runs. That slug was off the charts as well, over 600 at 618. It's some publications, some fantasy sites. He is listed as a catcher. He's not a catcher, he's an outfielder. He's going to be a center fielder. So, you know, utilizing that speed, coming in at six foot, 18 years old, won't turn 19 until September of this year. We have a lot of projection, a lot of projectability because of that age to level. Um, I'm expecting him to hit a ball and we're seeing that contact first approach with the ability to have power. I can't wait to start to get more film on him and really break him down because he has been climbing in all of my dynasty drafts this off season so much so that I'm, I'm a little concerned if he, if we're wrong on him. Um, he's gonna burn a lot of people. People have used, you know, early assets to go out and get him. But I do see this profile as being something that will play at the higher levels. My only curiosity is how much power is actually in the tank. You know, we don't have enough grades on him yet to really know what to expect, but he's looking like a 20-30 home run major league bat with 30 to 40 stolen bases and plus defense. This is an incredible opportunity to buy on a guy that is just starting to really pique the industry's interest. And, you know, we're a couple months in now. It's harder to acquire him today than it was a couple months ago.
1: Yeah, completely agree. It is one of those guys where we're going to watch and hopefully he starts at low A or complex ball and we don't have to wait till the middle of the summer to see some stats on him. But I'm excited for Quintera. I'm I'm excited about all these guys. Let's be real. Uh, (laughs) Let's stick with the international guys. And I'm going to go to the Rangers organization and dip back into that 2022 international pool. And I'm going to go with Etch Dry or Echadry. Did we figure out how we're going to pronounce this guy at Vargas. Um, Vargas? He's listed as a second base slash shortstop with MLB pipeline. I've seen other places list him as a third baseman. He's 511 170. He doesn't get great comps only signed for $10,000 out of the Dominican Republic. So he doesn't have quite as much of the pedigree, but man, over the last two years, all he's done is show out. in 2022, batted 301 with four homers, 13 stolen bases, 13 walks, 27 strikeouts. And then last year in rookie and low A, he batted a combined 317, I should say, across 53 games, threw in 11 home runs with 17 stolen bases. I really like what I see from him. I don't know if he's truly got the power that he's displaying currently, but I believe his hit tool is there, and I think he can translate that as he goes. It'll be interesting to see what happens once he reaches double A, triple A and sees more of the breaking ball stuff. If he can hit that, that's always the biggest question with these DSL international guys. So I like what I'm seeing so far, and he's done nothing but prove the haters wrong.
0: Big leg kick, um, you know, very fluid, you know, natural swing, not much mechanical refinement yet uh, I just reposted a home run that he hit in the DSL maybe the Florida Complex League uh, to our Twitter so if you're interested go ahead and check take a look at that um, you know a lot of development I think still but a lot of natural power he he has the swag you know like that's what I look for in some of these kids too where's that confidence level because they're going to need it as they start to develop and as those mechanical tweaks start to happen definitely a name that is starting to pick up traction but not nearly the traction of some of the other players on this list where You know, deep in in drafts, you can still go out and get this guy and, you know, still presumably be on the waiver wire. I think this is absolutely another one of those candidates that I will take at the back end of my organizational depth. And he looks overall fun. You know, like when we get back to the base of why we do this, it's because we like following players. We like players that we think are fun. We like players that project to have really fun skills. Just kind of watching his highlights. That's exactly what he represents to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely somebody that came out of nowhere. So I, I definitely like him. Let's stick with the international pool and let's go up one year and go to the twenty twenty-three. And this might be one of my favorite um international breakouts, and that's Joendry Vargas of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Guess what? Dodgers have another one. He was the third ranked international signee for the twenty twenty-three class, and all he did was put up numbers this past season in 48 games batted at 328, seven home runs, 19 stolen bases, 30 walks to 31 strikeouts, everything I love to see. I don't think the stolen bases are going to stick at, at, at the rate that they're currently at. He's listed at six four one seventy five. I think he's going to build out that big frame of his. And I think the power and hit are going to continue, but I think he's going to lose some of the speed, but Man, how can you not love somebody like that? I don't think he sticks at short because of his size, but I think maybe third base, maybe he goes to the outfield. But man, the sky's the limit for this guy.
0: Yeah, I'm a little bit uh, distracted right now. I'm watching. Um, you watching the swing, Cuero's swing uh, j- again. Just reposted to our Twitter if you're interested.
1: Eduardo Quintero,
0: <laughs> yeah. very impressed. Um, it's it is from maybe the best international swing I have seen from these young kids yet. And uh, there's a great tweet right now from uh, the infinite Dodger at infinite Dodger. It has stated Eduardo uh, Quintero. Now that the Dodgers hired Nelson Cruz to their coaching staff. And it is a, a video of Alfonso Soriano taking, um, taking shilling deep, but uh, very nice swing. But Vargas is another name that we love, right? You, you said it. I think I mirror your comments. Um, I think he's probably more expensive right now than Quintero, right? Like I think the name and the shortstop and the Dodgers organization, as well as the overall um, desire for people to jump on the shortstop and the Dodgers prospects is probably building his name up and the, the overall pedigree that he had coming into that international signing. But he was also a name that we talked about a few weeks ago and I had said outright, I just didn't know who he was until very recently. And we got very excited about him. Dodgers have a lot of really exciting international prospects as well. we talked about the Reds. You know, Medina's been a name we've thrown around the last couple of weeks. Um, Quintero, Vargas, like there's a lot of people to follow. And if they all hit, you're talking about the best team in baseball with the current talent they have at the major league level. More talent is on the way.
1: Yeah, that's, it's just crazy. Like, could you imagine maybe Yoendry Vargas makes some sort of ascension like... Uh a Juan Soto or Junior Caminero, and they don't even need Gavin looks, they just have you know, andre Vargas, and he's ready to go next year. That'd be nuts. <laughs> Could you yeah, imagine? Vargas
0: Vargas doesn't have much tape on him right now, at least on um on Twitter. But you know, they also have Paula and I know I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Hopefully, as time goes, we'll have a better gauge as to how to properly pronounce uh Paula's name, but the names just keep on coming and the swings for some of these players, they're beautiful. Uh, the Dodgers are doing a really good job right now. Yeah.
1: Um, the next guy we have on our list is Cam Collier and he's somebody that I liked going back to what, what year was he drafted? Was that 2022? Yeah. 2022. He was slotted to be, I want to say a top five, top 10, uh, prospect overall for that entire draft class. Coming out of high school, ultimately went 18th overall to the Cincinnati Reds, third baseman. He's Luke Collier's son. Gets great um, grades for his hit and his power. Didn't have that great of a a pro debut. Or uh, Never mind. I should say he had a great pro pro debut with 370, two home runs, uh, seven walks, six strikeouts, and I was in love with him. And then everybody soured on him. Overall, 2023, batted 246, only six home runs and struck out 106 times in 111 games. So that strikeout rate was really up there. The thing that I like, though, since August 1st on of last year, something clicked for him. Batted 311, had an OPS of 838, and had two home runs in 34 games. So the power didn't translate, but he did hit get his batting average back up there, and he had 21 walks to 30 strikeouts. So that strikeout rate is a little bit higher for that last two months of the season, but he did bring his walk rate up. I'm encouraged for how he ended the season and I don't think enough people are talking about that and they just see the overall year of him batting 246 and he was highly regarded prospect. So I'm giving him the prospect pedigree. Maybe there's something mental going on, maybe something I don't know, but I think I'm back in on Cam Collier. Are you as well?
0: Yeah, then you highlighted those August numbers, those September numbers. I really liked what he did in August. I think it started to show his understanding and his growth and development. Collier was a very young player in his draft class. This is going to be his age 19 season. So again, as we talk about age to level with some of his DSL players that are going to be coming over and playing an A ball at 19 years old, Cam Collier just went through an entire season at the age of 18. That's really exciting. And you have to give him a bit of a pause in regards to the judgment of his overall stat line because of his age. You started to see the development in August. We need to see, obviously, more tick up in his power. But looking at his swing, he has a very balanced approach. He likes to go the other way. It's going to take time for him to develop into that power that third base requires. But the Reds saw something in him to take him in the first round. The Reds have a track record, as we continue to say, of developing these young players. I think Collier is a great buy opportunity. When you're talking about him in leagues, you can really shop the fact that, hey, he's a first rounder. He only hit 246. When in reality, you're looking at it as, hey, he's the same exact age as Aiden Miller. He's actually younger and he has a full season of pro ball under his belt, even though he's gone through the high school ranks like Miller did. So Collier and Miller are two very different profiles right now. One, I think you can buy on the cheap, one, his name is ascending. I like both of them. I'm probably more inclined to take a share of Cam Collier and pair him with a couple other names that are by lows, with the hope that this profile will be a top 15, top 10 third baseman with, you know, an overall balanced approach and hopefully power that develops. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I definitely like them. And the third base crop is looking promising for sure, at least in the prospect ranks. I I think it's pretty top heavy in the major league ranks currently, at least for fantasy purposes. So I'm very encouraged for what's to come. And it's a little bit of foreshadowing because my Mm, last. I saw you doing
0: that. That was nice.
1: (laughs) You like that? Because my last Mm. breakout and he might be honestly my favorite breakout that's a third baseman that the Nationals took last year, 40th overall in the second round, and that's Yohandri Morales. Um, he comes out of Miami. He's known for his power. And As a freshman, he had 11 home runs, and then he increased that to 18 home runs his sophomore year, having an OPS over 1,000 and hitting 400. And the crazy thing is, in his pro debut, I don't know if anybody else did this, but he rose four levels, went from rookie ball to low A to high A, and then finished at double a granted double a was only four games but still hey i'll take it he didn't all across all four levels he hit zero zero home runs only one stolen bases i mean he's third baseman you're not going to get stolen bases out of him but he hit every single level rookie ball 400 low a 390 high a 314 double a 286 i mean this is a guy known for his power and he's hitting every stop of the way I would argue that he's their future third baseman and not Brady House. I mean, I could see him ascending maybe next year. I don't know, but I'm all in on Johanny Morales, and I'm so glad I at least got him in one of our dynasty leagues that we're in together, Matt. So, like I said, I like what third base has in the prospect rankings. What do you think of Johanny Morales?
0: I love the addition for Morales onto our list, uh, and I haven't done enough deep research because I've just seen, you know, the games played and the average and the the lack of power at the professional level. And I still loved everything I saw because he had the power profile in college. I think you mentioned it 20 home runs this past season at the age of 21 at Miami University. But there is a number that kind of concerns me, and I'm curious to see how it plays into his uh, pro profile. And I think this is maybe why we saw a dip in power in 42 total minor league games. If you look at 2022 season at miami the 18 home runs he had 34 walks to 60 strikeouts in 60 games a little bit of a concern 2023 at 61 games he had 55 strikeouts to 30 walks i'm curious if the washington organization brought him in and said we really need to get control of your strike zone we really need you to be more disciplined and may have encouraged him to change his approach which in turn may have limited his power as mm-hmm. he was transitioning to a different style of play. Looks like a very aggressive swinger from his time at Miami, which is probably why we saw the power as well as the four Oh eight average in his last season there. If they have done what we just talked about, I am very excited because he will get be He will be able to tap back into that power stream he had, but you really need to refine his approach. And we talk a lot about in zone contact and chase rate, I would love to see his numbers as he starts to climb the minor leagues being already at double A because this could be a hitter where, you know, we are talking about a 280 average, good upside in power, and the strikeouts may still be there. But if you're getting the average and you're getting the power, that's all we really care about at third base from those counting stats.
1: Yeah. I mean, if that is the case, I'm even more excited because, um, yep. you know, he's got the power, he's developing the hit, and he's shown that he's developing the hit. So, the power will come back. I'm pretty confident in that. So,
0: well, yeah, and we, we, you know, we've talked about Brock Wilkin and the the advances he had made from his uh, sophomore to junior season. You know, he was able to actually curve the walks to strikeouts where he had more walks than strikeouts. Morales was not able to do that, but that to me that doesn't mean he can't do that. I, I have to imagine this was an organizational change because we even started to see it. Um, you know, at a ball he had 18 strikeouts to eight walks at a high A he had 16 strikeouts to eight walks already an improvement I know very slight improvement but improvement and then at four games at double A two strikeouts to three walks like this has to be something the organization said to him we let's start this now and you know by the time you come into 2024 you'll already have started the developmental path and you can absolutely skyrocket.
1: man I'm gonna love that left side of the Nationals they're gonna have Morales or house, at third Abrams at short you're gonna have Dylan Cruz and James Wood in the outfield you got Kyber Ruiz at catcher I mean their their future looks pretty bright right now
0: hey don't forget about 35 year old Joey Manessas when this all happens
1: <laughs> don't uh, you mean sorry, Joey, Joey Gallo
0: yes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joey's uh going to be playing outfield for them right this was a signing a few weeks ago
1: uh yeah I he signed with them. I don't know if he's going to be DH or if he's actually going to play outfield. I know they also got Lane Thomas. Oh, man, you're testing my Washington well, no, Nationals. no, it's okay. I,
0: I brought up their their roster resource last night, and that's why I asked. They have uh, Gallo slated for left field. They have Stone Garrett for DH. Center field is Victor Robles, and right field is, of course, Lane Thomas, as you had mentioned there's a lot of maneuverability, right? This is definitely a team that's in um, like the holding so, pattern. Those are band aids.
1: Yeah. yeah. Joey Gallo's assigning us, Hey, we're going to keep James Wood and Dylan Cruz away so that we can uh, get some uh, cracks at that rookie of the year for 2025. That's what I take that as. What was well, that contract? Was it a one-year deal or?
0: Yeah. I want to say Joey was a one-year deal. I still think we have to see what happens in spring training. If, Wood or Cruz come in, you know, Wood presumably and, and has a drastic change in approach and that we can get that strikeout level down. I still think he starts the year in the minor leagues, but uh, you're not going to tell me that Victor Cruz, Stone, Garrett are going to hold back or even in that matter, Joey Gallo are going to hold back a, a dominant spring from, from Cruz. You know, we aren't, we aren't forecasting him to make the team, but none of those names to me will stop him. You know, like if he comes out and, and puts up you know, jaw dropping performance in spring training and in practice. I'm sorry, Victor Robles is a fourth defensive outfield. Stone Garrett is mm-hmm. lucky you know, that he's had the opportunity, and that's nice. He's lucky that you know, older in age, he's got the opportunity at the Major League level, but he's the perfect candidate for this team right now until change needs to be made, and Joey Gallo's at least a bat where, hey, maybe if we can strike fire, we can trade him at the deadline, but Joey Gallo has no problem from slotting from left to, to DH and Robles to the bench if Cruz can come up and you know ultimately James Wood too if if he starts to catch fire so this lineup has a lot of opportunity yeah i completely agree
1: and that that, my, that ends my out. that ends my breakouts i i could have had more but you know we'll, we'll stick with that
0: uh, and you know we touched on a lot of names over the last couple of weeks um I, I think we're happy with where we were i kind of ran through for a uh a, a friend on a discord today all the names that i just like cuz he had asked and I think throughout the this season um, or this past season, we've touched on really everybody. Purpose of this exercise was to really get some names out there that you may not be familiar with and that Richie and I just overall like. And, um, you know, I, I think we did a good job of that. But it is time. It's time for the college preview that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. We're going to jump into some pitchers today, some names that we really like. I think some names that I have a strong opinion on. Um, you know, I'm very curious to see what you have to say we're going to start it off with maybe the most prolific um, highlight tape player in Chase Burns. Burns did just come off a game yesterday. Uh, we will post it to our Twitter if you would like to take a look. Yeah, big tweet we saw yesterday was first inning three strikeouts. Uh, exit or excuse me, fastball velocities of 99, 99, 99, 98, 99, 98, 100, and 101, with a change of velo of 93 miles an hour. That is via Wake Forest baseball analytics. You know, we are definitely Wake Forest fans, especially with the advanced data that they're able to pump out. I had said to you before we hit play today that those numbers are Jacob deGrom numbers. But let's look at his overall line. Four innings, no runs, no hits, 10 strikeouts. Those also are Jacob deGrom numbers. So Richie, Chase Burns, Big time velocity. Uh, I think we're probably going to put him in the Hunter Green, Paul Skeen's velocity scale. We just talked about how he kind of comps to Jacob DeGrom. Kind of coming over into uh, a new territory with Wake Forest, the pitching lab coming from Tennessee. Awesome grades. What do you think? Tell us a little bit about Chase Burns.
1: Yeah, Chase Burns, I'll give you the grades, at least by MLB Pipeline. I don't think you mentioned those. Gets a 60-grade fastball, 70-grade slider, 50-grade changeup, and a 50-grade control. I mean, those are phenomenal. That's exactly what you want. I would argue the fastball should be closer to 70 or 80 just because of how high it gets. But I know maybe the shape, maybe the induced vertical break isn't as great as we think, but I mean, the results are there. How can you deny them? I know you have concerns that he may be a closer, but I'm under the impression he's going to be a starter. He comes in. I want to see where he lands for MLB pipeline. They have him ranked as the 16th overall prospect behind left-handed starting pitcher Hagen Smith, who we're not even talking about and behind Josh Hartle, who's also Wake Forest, left-handed pitcher, who also we're not talking about. Um, I would argue Chase Burns is better than both of those, and I-, I think he should be the first pitcher taken off the board in this year's draft, um, assuming that Jack Keglione is not a pitcher in this draft. Do you agree?
0: Yeah, I, I think this is the big problem that we're going to have when evaluating the pitching prospects, especially at the collegiate level. Things change so rapidly. We have risers, we have fallers, we have injuries. And you had highlighted it a little bit. I do have concerns with Burns possibly being a reliever, but it's not because of his ability. His ability is it's eye-opening. We just talked about some of the velocities coming out of the hand. We talked about the overall stat line of 10 Ks in four innings. It's dominance. Problem is that VLO. You know, it's the same thing that we had concerns with, with Paul Skeens and, and other people have concerns with is – can we have an arm like a DeGrom, like a Hunter Green, really hold up? You know, It has to happen at some point where we see someone enter the league and they can just do this on a regular basis. Verlander was the one that comes to mind the most from his you know six- to eight-year dominance in Detroit before ultimately having Tommy John down the road, obviously. But I absolutely love Burns. I hold him in our um, open-source Dynasty League just because, again, he's from a highlight tape jumps off the page at you his ability his mechanics are very smooth um it's just the velocity that concerns me and it, it sucks to say that because again I, I want to really really root for these players and like these players we've just been burned so many times by high velo guys degram is a perfect example of that those really are degram velocities I really hope Burns can stay healthy this year because I think he's going to put up some absolutely ridiculous numbers at Wake Forest.
1: Yeah, so I just found something on Baseball America and it has a fastball shapes and grades on fastballs. Chase Burns gets a grading of 23 23- 300 or 2398 revolutions per minute on his spin, 17.8 inches of induced vertical break, and 11.3 horizontal break. Those are all above average. I believe I'm looking at the list here, and he's only behind a few pitchers here as far as the spin rate. Tyson Neighbors, right handed pitcher out of Kansas State, has 2,500. Yep, are- and then forecasting, Thatcher Hurd has a higher spin rate. Um, I'm trying to see if I, I don't think anybody else on this list has a higher spin rate. Um, but yeah, those those are fantastic grades. Yeah, I would say 70 minimum with that induced vertical break and horizontal break as well. I'd be curious what Stuff Plus would give them. I would argue it would probably be closer to 120, 130 um, with 100 being average for those of you who are not familiar with that, but got to love that for that fastball.
0: Well, and again, Wake Forest, the pitching lab, and the technology that they are utilizing at the collegiate level is only going to continue to, the development for Chase Burns. And I, I think the two names that we have today to start off the collegiate preview are the two names that I will be looking for that are going to be jockeying for that number one collegiate pick outside of the Thatcher Herds and a number of other names that you listed. Neighbors is a fantastic piece that I, I don't know that we will touch on you know, for a number of months here, but Neighbors, uh, Kansas State, if I remember correctly, is a fantastic collegiate closer has, I think two pitches also like the gentleman we're about to talk about next that are plus plus, but only as a reliever. So those guys aren't often talked about because, you know, relievers aren't something that we get really excited about at the collegiate level for drafts. But as you and I have talked, I think there's a lot of value that's missed with some of these closers. Um, Chase Burns, 2022, excuse me, 2023 with Tennessee numbers aren't fantastic. But he was in and out of the rotation, a 4-3, excuse me, 4-6-3 ERA, 18 games, 8 starts, 72 overall innings. So I really like to see that coming off of an 80-inning performance as a 19-year-old in 2022, Uh, 114 strikeouts in those 72 innings. So we see that plus slider, that plus fastball on display. I really expect to see an absolute dominant season, a sub-3 ERA. I expect those strikeouts to be 14-15 K per nine this year. Again, health is the only thing I want to monitor. If he stays healthy, I think we will be talking about Burns as a guy that the Guardians may have to consider, although they should go Weatherholt. Um, Richie, we got another name. One just as exciting. Two 70-grade pitches from this next individual. Go ahead and tell us about the next player.
1: Yeah, Brody Brecht out of Iowa. He gets a 70-grade fastball, 70-grade slider. He also has a third-pitch, a splitter, below average at 45 And the biggest knock on him is his control 40 grade across um, MLB pipeline. But man, you, you can't deny the fastball looking at the grades. By Baseball America that I just referenced for Chase Burns, Brody Breck is the only fastball ranked higher than Chase Burns. His velo average was 97.7 compared to the average of 96 for Chase Burns. Yes, they both can touch 100. Spin rate just a tick behind Chase Burns, coming at 23.28 rather than 23.98, and he's got less movement, um, 15.3. Inches of induced vertical break and 7.5 inches of horizontal break. But when you throw that fast, you don't need a lot of movement on that pitch. He also has a 6.3-foot extension on that pitch, which is the highest that I'm seeing on this board. A lot of 6-foot, just over 5, um, compared to the other fastballs in this draft class. So my concern is the only the two pitches and the control and I think I would put him behind Chase Burns. And I don't know if I necessarily, the book's still out on me. Um, if he'd be the number two, there's a couple other guys we mentioned Hagen Smith, Josh Hartle, and Thatcher Hurd. We'll talk about Thatcher Hurd as well. But those are the five guys that I'm keeping an eye on the most for this next season um, for college and seeing what they can do. But I definitely like what Brody Breck has.
0: Yeah. And Breck is, you know, I, I think the control is probably the reason that you had highlighted that there is, you know, pause the brakes a little bit, but age 20 season, we did a lot of development. We talked about what Chase Burns' numbers were at Tennessee last year. We were expecting both of these players to take massive jumps forward. And I could see Breck having a similar season and explosion like Paul Skeen's because of the velocity and because of the slider. You know, six four, good body type for both of them. You know, that splitter is a big piece, uh, big piece as well. Can he develop that? Can he get that to a 55 before the draft? That would be massive for him to have that plus third pitch, even if it's just at least in the arsenal. But I think these are the two biggest names for me, at least that I'm watching, with the hope that we have some other names emerge. Um, you know, different schools, obviously, Wake Forest and Iowa, both have a lot of mound presence, and that's to be excited. If, if you have interest, there's a lot of tape on, of them online. I think Twitter's a fantastic resource for these guys to just kind of see what they're throwing with their arsenals in a small sample size, really quick c- clips, but I love the two plus plus pitches. 70, 70 is not often seen. They don't even give it to Chase Burns, which I would argue after, you know, those statistics that we reeled off that he should probably also have a 70 fastball, but I have a feeling he was bringing the heat to start the season. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm very excited about Brody Breck and see what he can do this year.
0: All right. Last name on the list. We are going to get into, uh, I guess, kind of as you had mentioned, a name that could push into the top two. That's Thatcher Hurd, UCLA uh, in 2022, coming over to LSU last year. 23 games. 11 games started at LSU. Not a good turnout. um, But that is not why he's on the list. Again, age 20 season. He had a 5-8-3 ERA at LSU. You know, did have those 11 starts. So that is something that I expect, you know, him to transition into this year as Floyd is gone, as Taylor is gone, as uh, Skeens is gone. They are going to need the next wave to step up. And Hurd is the guy I think we have penciled in for this LSU staff. Uh, 63 in the third innings last year, 84 strikeouts, 40 walks. So he still has a little bit lower walk threshold than Breck did. What are your thoughts on Thatcher Hurd and why are you so excited?
1: I'm excited because I like what he did last year. Yeah, he walked a lot of guys, but man, that strikeout rate was great. Him and Paul Skeens were a one-two punch, but everybody was so focused on Paul Skeens. Yes, Paul Skeens has the better control out of the two, but Thatcher heard I feel, is being slept on. He's ranked as the 31st uh, prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. I'm trying to pull up right now. Oh, no, sorry, 31st by Baseball America. Um, where is he? He's eighteenth for MLB pipeline. So I do like that. He has a fifty grade fastball, fifty or no, sorry, sixty grade fastball, fifty grade curveball, sixty grade slider, uh below average changeup, but can still show it. But his control is only a 45 because of those walks. What was it, 40 you mentioned, but he can touch 98, sometimes 99, um sits in the 93 to 96 range, but it's really that slider that you like. To see, and I'm trying to see where he ranks on this list on Baseball America. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Gets the ninth best fastball grade according to Baseball America. Comes in at an average of 94. He's one that actually, I meant prefaced earlier, has more spin than Chase Burns, coming in at 24 36. Induced vertical break of 20.4 inches on the fastball, horizontal break of 10.6 inches. When we talk about induced vertical break, um, I want to say, like, 16 or 17. Um, I could be wrong, but, like, I think of 16, 17 as average. 18 is getting up there. 20 is, like, top of the line. Like, 22 is probably, like, the best you're ever going to see. So, like, well above average induced vertical break. So, he's got the movement on the the fastball, and I'm curious to see if it takes a step forward in 2024 with him being on LSU.
0: Yeah, and, and again, these are the names that we're really pushing as our frontline players coming into this 2024 collegiate season. And, you know, very, very high on Wake Forest. Florida has been, been developing a lot of talented hitters as well as, you know, I think under the radar pitchers. Hurston Waldrip was the name that we really liked last year. Brady Singer, formerly of Florida. Um, you know, LSU giving Paul Skeens to the, to the major league ranks as well as um, Cruz. A lot of great names to keep in mind. Um, Oregon State, another one. And I think we're going to be breaking down the collegiate field more than we have in years past because we haven't touched on it. And we are starting to get excited about some of these names, and we're going to want to keep an eye on them. These were three pitchers we have for you today. We'll have more names as the season starts to kick off. We are about three weeks from being fully engrossed in college baseball, and that's something to be excited about as you know we get closer to opening day and pitchers and catchers reporting. But we'll have to put together a list for you next week because I think we've kind of scratched the surface of at least all of the college players that we really like. We're going to have to start getting into some of the players that I think you know we are a little less familiar with and having to do that research for you. But um, that is all we have for you today. Richie, anything else before we wrap? No, I don't think so. All right. Um, it was a pleasure. We will see you guys next week.